0: PAPER 55 THE SPHERES OF LIGHT AND LIFE The age of light and life is the final evolutionary attainment of a world of time and space. From the early times of primitive man, such an inhabited world has passed through the successive planetary ages, the pre- and the post-planetary prince ages, the post-Adamic age, the post-magisterial sun age, and the post-bestowal sun age. And then is such a world made ready for the culminating evolutionary attainment, the settled status of light and life, by the ministry of the successive planetary missions of the Trinity Teacher Sons, with their ever-advancing revelations of divine truth and cosmic wisdom. In these endeavors, the Teacher Sons enjoy the assistance of the brilliant evening stars always, and the Melchizedeks sometimes, in establishing the final planetary age. This era of light and life, inaugurated by the teacher-sons at the conclusion of their final planetary mission, continues indefinitely on the inhabited worlds. Each advancing stage of settled status may be segregated by the judicial actions of the magisterial sons into a succession of dispensations, but all such judicial actions are purely technical, in no way modifying the course of planetary events. Only those planets which attain existence in the main circuits of the super are assured of continuous survival, but as far as we know, these worlds settled in light and life are destined to go on throughout the eternal ages of all future time. There are seven stages in the unfoldment of the era of light and life on an evolutionary world. And in this connection it should be noted that the worlds of the spirit-fused mortals evolve along lines identical with those of the Adjuster-Fusion series. These seven stages of light and life are 1. The first or planetary stage. 2. The second or system stage. 3. The third or constellation stage. 4. The fourth or local universe stage. 5. The fifth or minor sector stage. The sixth or major sector stage. Seven. The seventh or super universe stage. At the conclusion of this narrative, these stages of advancing development are described as they relate to the universe organization, but the planetary values of any stage may be attained by any world quite independent of the development of other worlds, or of the superplanetary levels of universe administration. 1. The Morancha Temple The presence of a Morancha temple at the capital of an inhabited world is the certificate of the admission of such a sphere to the settled ages of light and life. Before the teacher-sons leave a world at the conclusion of their terminal mission, they inaugurate this final epoch of evolutionary attainment. They preside on that day when the holy temple comes down upon earth. This event, signalizing the dawn of the era of light and life, is always honored by the personal presence of the Paradise bestowal son of that planet, who comes to witness this great day. There in this temple of unparalleled beauty, this bestowal son of Paradise proclaims the long-time planetary prince as the new planetary sovereign and invest such a faithful Lenanandek sun with new powers and extended authority over planetary affairs. The system sovereign is also present and speaks in confirmation of these pronouncements. A Marantia temple has three parts. Centermost is the sanctuary of the Paradise Bestowal sun. On the right is the seat of the former planetary prince, now planetary sovereign, and when present in the temple this Lananandek sun is visible to the more spiritual individuals of the realm. On the left is the seat of the acting chief of finaliters attached to the planet. Although the planetary temples have been spoken of as coming down from heaven, in reality no actual material is transported from the system headquarters. The architecture of each is worked out in miniature on the system capital, and the Morancha power supervisors subsequently bring these approved plans to the planet. Here, in association with the master physical controllers, they proceed to build the Morancha temple according to specifications. The average Morancha temple seats about 300,000 spectators. These edifices are not used for worship, play, or for receiving broadcasts. They are devoted to the special ceremonies of the planet, such as communications with the system sovereign or with the Most Highs special visualization ceremonies designed to reveal the personality presence of spirit beings and silent cosmic contemplation. The schools of cosmic philosophy here conduct their graduation exercises, and here also do the mortals of the realm receive planetary recognition for achievements of high social service and for other outstanding attainments. Such a Morancha temple also serves as the place of assembly for witnessing the translation of living mortals to the Morancha existence. It is because the translation temple is composed of Morancha material that it is not destroyed by the blazing glory of the consuming fire which so completely obliterates the physical bodies of those mortals who therein experience final fusion with their divine adjusters. On a large world these departure flares are almost continuous and as the number of translations increases subsidiary morancha life shrines are provided in different areas of the planet not long since i sojourned on a world in the far north where on 25 morancha shrines were functioning on pre-settled worlds planets without morancha temples these fusion flashes many times occur in the planetary atmosphere where the material body of a translation candidate is elevated by the midway creatures and the physical controllers. 2. Death and Translation Natural physical death is not a mortal inevitability. The majority of advanced evolutionary beings, citizens on worlds existing in the final era of light and life, do not die. They are translated directly from the life in the flesh to the Morancha existence. This experience of translation from the material life to the morancha state, fusion of the immortal soul with the indwelling adjuster, increases in frequency commensurate with the evolutionary progress of the planet. At first, only a few mortals in each age attain translation levels of spiritual progress, but with the onset of the successive ages of the teacher Sons more and more adjuster fusions occur before the termination of the lengthening lives of these progressing mortals, and by the time of the terminal mission of the teacher-sons, approximately one-quarter of these superb mortals are exempt from natural death. Farther along in the era of light and life, the midway creatures, or their associates, sense the approaching status of probable soul-adjuster union and signify this to the destiny guardians, who in turn communicate these matters to the finalator group, under whose jurisdiction this mortal may be functioning. Then there is issued the summons of the planetary sovereign for such a mortal to resign all planetary duties, bid farewell to the world of his origin, and repair to the inner temple of the planetary sovereign, there to await Morantia transit, the translation flash from the material domain of evolution to the Morantia level of pre-spirit progression. When the family, friends, and working group of such a fusion candidate have foregathered in the Morancha temple, they are distributed around the central stage whereon the fusion candidates are resting, meantime freely conversing with their assembled friends. A circle of intervening celestial personalities is arranged to protect the material mortals from the action of the energies manifest at the instant of the life-flash, which delivers the ascension candidate from the bonds of material flesh thereby doing for such an evolutionary mortal everything that natural death does for those who are thereby delivered from the flesh. Many fusion candidates may be assembled in the spacious temple at the same time. And what a beautiful occasion when mortals thus foregather to witness the ascension of their loved ones in spiritual flames! And what a contrast to those earlier ages when mortals must commit their dead to the embrace of the terrestrial elements. The scenes of weeping and wailing characteristic of earlier epochs of human evolution are now replaced by ecstatic joy and the sublimest enthusiasm as these God-knowing mortals bid their loved ones a transient farewell as they are removed from their material associations by the spiritual fires of consuming grandeur and ascending glory. On worlds settled in light and life, funerals are occasions of supreme joy profound satisfaction and inexpressible hope. The souls of these progressing mortals are increasingly filled with faith, hope, and assurance. The spirit permeating those gathered around the translation shrine resembles that of the joyful friends and relatives who might assemble at a graduating exercise for one of their group, or who might come together to witness the conferring of some great honor upon one of their number and it would be decidedly helpful if less advanced mortals could only learn to view natural death with something of this same cheerfulness and light-heartedness. Mortal observers can see nothing of their translated associates subsequent to the fusion flash. Such translated souls proceed by a juster transit direct to the resurrection hall of the appropriate Morancha training world. These transactions concerned with the translation of living human beings to the Morantia world are supervised by an archangel who was assigned to such a world on the day when it was first settled in light and life. By the time a world attains the fourth stage of light and life, more than half the mortals leave the planet by translation from among the living. Such diminishment of death continues on and on, but I know of no system whose inhabited worlds, even though long settled in life, are entirely free from natural death as the technique of escape from the bonds of flesh. And until such a high state of planetary evolution is uniformly attained, the Morancha training worlds of the local universe must continue in service as educational and cultural spheres for the evolving Morancha progressors. The elimination of death is theoretically possible, but it has not yet occurred according to my observation. Perhaps such a status may be attained during the far away stretches of the succeeding epochs of the seventh stage of settled planetary life. The translated souls of the flowering ages of the settled spheres do not pass through the mansion worlds. Neither do they sojourn as students on the Morancha worlds of the system or constellation. They do not pass through any of the earlier phases of Morancha life. They are the only ascending mortals who so nearly escape the Morancha transition from material existence to semi-spirit status. The initial experience of such sun-seized mortals in the ascension career is in the services of the progression worlds of the universe headquarters, and from these study worlds of Salvington they go back as teachers to the very worlds they passed by, subsequently going on, inward to paradise by the established route of mortal ascension. Could you but visit a planet in an advanced stage of development? you would quickly grasp the reasons for providing for the differential reception of ascending mortals on the mansion and higher Morancha worlds. You would readily understand that beings passing on from such highly evolved spheres are prepared to resume their paradise ascent far in advance of the average mortal arriving from a disordered and backward world like Urantia. No matter from what level of planetary attainment human beings may ascend to the Morancha worlds, The seven mansion spheres afford them ample opportunity to gain an experience as teacher-students all of everything which they fail to pass through because of the advanced status of their native planets. The universe is unfailing in the application of these equalizing techniques designed to ensure that no ascender shall be deprived of aught which is essential to his ascension experience. 3. The Golden Ages During this age of lightened life the world increasingly prospers under the fatherly rule of the planetary sovereign. By this time the worlds are progressing under the momentum of one language, one religion, and, on normal spheres, one race. But this age is not perfect. These worlds still have well-appointed hospitals, homes for the care of the sick. There still remain the problems of caring for accidental injuries, and the inescapable infirmities attendant upon the decrepitude of old age and the disorders of senility. Disease has not been entirely vanquished, neither have the earth animals been subdued in perfection, but such worlds are like paradise in comparison with the early times of primitive man during the preplanetary prince age. You would instinctively describe such a realm, could you be suddenly transported to a planet in this stage of development, as heaven on earth. Human government in the conduct of material affairs continues to function throughout this age of relative progress and perfection. The public activities of A World in the First Stage of Light and Life, which I recently visited, were financed by the tithing technique. Every adult worker, and all able-bodied citizens worked at something, paid 10% of his income or increase to the public treasury, and it was dispersed as follows. 1. 3% was expended in the promotion of truth, science, education, and philosophy. 2. 3% was devoted to beauty, play, social leisure, and art. 3. 3% was dedicated to goodness, social service, altruism, and religion. 4. 1% was assigned to the insurance reserves against the risk of incapacity for labor resulting from accident, disease, Old age or unpreventable disasters, the natural resources of this planet were administered as social possessions, community property on this world. The highest honor conferred upon a citizen was the order of supreme service, being the only degree of recognition ever to be granted in the Marancha temple. This recognition was bestowed upon those who had long distinguished themselves in some phase of supermaterial discovery or planetary social service. The majority of social and administrative posts were held jointly by men and women. Most of the teaching was also done jointly. Likewise, all judicial trusts were discharged by similar associated couples. On these superb worlds, the childbearing period is not greatly prolonged. It is not best for too many years to intervene between the ages of a family of children. When close together in age, children are able to contribute much more to their mutual training. And on these worlds they are magnificently trained by the competitive systems of keen striving in the advanced domains and divisions of diverse achievement in the mastery of truth, beauty, and goodness. Never fear but that even such glorified spheres present plenty of evil, real and potential, which is stimulative of the choosing between truth and error, good and evil, sin and righteousness. Nevertheless, there is a certain inevitable penalty attaching to mortal existence on such advanced evolutionary planets. When a settled world progresses beyond the third stage of light and life, all ascenders are destined, before attaining the minor sector, to receive some sort of transient assignment on a planet passing through the earlier stages of evolution. Each of these successive ages represents advancing achievements in all phases of planetary attainment. In the initial age of light, the revelation of truth was enlarged to embrace the workings of the universe of universes, while the deity study of the second age is the attempt to master the Protean concept of the nature, mission, ministry, associations, origin, and destiny of the Creator Sons, the first level of God the Sevenfold. A planet the size of Urantia, when fairly well settled, would have about one hundred subadministrative centers. These subordinate centers would be presided over by one of the following groups of qualified administrators. 1. Young material sons and daughters brought from the system headquarters to act as assistants to the ruling Adam and Eve. 2. The progeny of the semi-mortal staff of the planetary prince, who were procreated on certain worlds for this and other similar responsibilities. 3. The direct planetary progeny of Adam and Eve. Four. Materialized and humanized midway creatures. Five. Mortals of adjuster fusion status who, upon their own petition, are temporarily exempted from translation by the order of the personalized adjuster of universe chieftainship in order that they may continue on the planet in certain important administrative posts. Six specially trained mortals of the planetary schools of administration who have also received the order of supreme service of the Morancha Temple. 7. Certain elective commissions of three properly qualified citizens who are sometimes chosen by the citizenry by direction of the planetary sovereign in accordance with their special ability to accomplish some definite task which is needful in that particular planetary sector. The great handicap confronting Urantia in the matter of attaining the high planetary destiny of light and life is embraced in the problems of disease, degeneracy, war, multicolored races, and multilingualism. No evolutionary world can hope to progress beyond the first stage of settledness in light until it has achieved one language, one religion, and one philosophy. Being of one race greatly facilitates such achievement, but the many peoples of Yorantia do not preclude the attainment of higher stages. 4. Administrative Readjustments In the successive stages of settled existence, the inhabited worlds make marvelous progress under the wise and sympathetic administration of the volunteer corps of the finality, ascenders of paradise attainment who have come back to minister to their brethren in the flesh. These Finaliters are active in cooperation with the Trinity teacher-sons, But they do not begin their real participation in world affairs until the Morantia temple appears on earth. Upon the formal inauguration of the planetary ministry of the core of the finality, the majority of the celestial hosts withdraw. But the seraphic guardians of destiny continue their personal ministry to the progressing mortals in light. Indeed, such angels come in ever-increasing numbers throughout the settled ages since larger and larger groups of human beings reach the third cosmic circle of coordinate mortal attainment during the planetary lifespan. This is merely the first of the successive administrative adjustments which attend the unfolding of the successive ages of increasingly brilliant attainment on the inhabited worlds as they pass from the first to the seventh stage of settled existence. 1. The First Stage of Light and Life a world in this initial settled stage is being administered by three rulers: A, the planetary sovereign, presently to be advised by a counseling trinity teacher son, in all probability the chief of the terminal core of such sons to function on the planet; B, the chief of the planetary core of finaliters; C, Adam and Eve, who function jointly as the unifiers of the dual leadership of the prince sovereign and the chief of finaliters. Acting as interpreters for the seraphic guardians and the finaliters are the exalted and liberated midway creatures. One of the last acts of the Trinity Teacher Sons on their terminal mission is to liberate the midwayers of the realm and to promote or restore them to advanced planetary status, assigning them to responsible places in the new administration of the settled sphere. Such changes have already been made in the range of human vision as enable mortals to recognize these heretofore invisible cousins of the early Adamic regime. This is made possible by the final discoveries of physical science in liaison with the enlarged planetary functions of the master physical controllers. The system sovereign has authority to release midway creatures any time after the first settled stage so that they may humanize in the Morancha by the aid of the life-carriers and the physical controllers and, after receiving thought-adjusters, start out on their paradise ascension. In the third and subsequent stages, some of the midwayers are still functioning, chiefly as contact personalities for the finaliters. but as each stage of lightened life is entered, new orders of liaison ministers largely replace the midwayers, Very few of them ever remain beyond the fourth stage of light. The seventh stage will witness the coming of the first Absinite ministers from Paradise to serve in the places of certain universe creatures. 2. The Second Stage of Light and Life This epoch is signalized on the worlds by the arrival of a life carrier who becomes the volunteer advisor of the planetary rulers regarding the further efforts to purify and stabilize the mortal race. Thus do the life-carriers actively participate in the further evolution of the human race, physically, socially, and economically. And then they extend their supervision to the further purification of the mortal stock by the drastic elimination of the retarded and persisting remnants of inferior potential of an intellectual, philosophic, cosmic, and spiritual nature. Those who design and plant life on an inhabited world are fully competent to advise the material sons and daughters, who have full and unquestioned authority to purge the evolving race of all detrimental influences. From the second stage on throughout the career of a settled planet, the teacher sons serve as counselors to the finaliters. During such missions they serve as volunteers and not by assignment and they serve exclusively with the finaliter core except that, upon the consent of the system sovereign, they may be had as advisers to the planetary Adam and Eve. 3. The Third Stage of Light and Life During this epoch the inhabited worlds arrive at a new appreciation of the ancients of days. The second phase of God the Sevenfold and the representatives of these super-universe rulers enter into new relationships with the planetary administration. In each succeeding age of settled existence, the finaliters function in ever-increasing capacities. There exists a close working connection between the finaliters, the Evening Stars, the Super Angels, and the Trinity Teacher Sons. During this or the following age, a Teacher Son, assisted by the Ministering Spirit Quartet, becomes attached to the elective mortal chief executive who now becomes associated with the Planetary Sovereign as joint administrator of world affairs. These mortal chief executives serve for twenty-five years of planetary time, and it is this new development that makes it easy for the planetary Adam and Eve to secure release from their world of long-time assignment during the following ages. The ministering spirit quartets consist of the Seraphic Chief of the Sphere, the Super-Universe Saccharaphic Counselor, the Archangel of Translations, and the omniophim, who functions as the personal representative of the assigned sentinel stationed on the system headquarters. But these advisors never proffer counsel unless it is asked for. 4. The Fourth Stage of Light and Life On the worlds the Trinity Teacher Sons appear in new roles, assisted by the creature-trinitized Sons so long associated with their order, they now come to the worlds as volunteer counselors and advisors to the planetary sovereign and his associates. Such couples, Paradise Havona trinitized sons and Ascender trinitized sons, represent differing universe viewpoints and diverse personal experiences which are highly serviceable to the planetary rulers. At any time after this age the planetary Adam and Eve can petition the sovereign Creator-son for release from planetary duties in order to begin their paradise ascent. Or they can remain on the planet as directors of the newly appearing order of increasingly spiritual society, composed of advanced mortals striving to comprehend the philosophic teachings of the finaliters portrayed by the brilliant evening stars, who are now assigned to these worlds to collaborate in pairs with the Sekonofim from the headquarters of the super The finaliters are chiefly engaged in initiating the new and supermaterial activities of society — social, cultural, philosophic, cosmic, and spiritual. As far as we can discern, they will continue this ministry far into the seventh epoch of evolutionary stability, when, possibly, they may go forth to minister in outer space, whereupon we conjecture their places may be taken by absinite beings from Paradise. 5. THE FIFTH STAGE OF LIGHT AND LIFE The readjustments of this stage of settled existence pertain almost entirely to the physical domains and are of primary concern to the master physical controllers. 6. The sixth stage of light and life witnesses the development of new functions of the mind circuits of the realm. Cosmic wisdom seems to become constituted in the universe ministry of mind. 7. The 7th Stage of Light and Life Early in the seventh epoch the Trinity Teacher Counselor of the Planetary Sovereign is joined by a volunteer advisor sent by the Ancients of Days, and later on they will be augmented by a third counselor coming from the Super Universe Supreme Executive. During this epoch, if not before, Adam and Eve are always relieved of planetary duties. If there is a material sun in the finalator core, he may become associated with the mortal chief executive, and sometimes it is a Melchizedek who volunteers to function in this capacity. If a midwayer is among the finaliters, all of that order remaining on the planet are immediately released. Upon obtaining release from their age-long assignment, a planetary Adam and Eve may select careers as follows. 1. They can secure planetary release and from the universe headquarters start out immediately on the paradise career, receiving thought adjusters at the conclusion of the Morancha experience. 2. Very often a planetary Adam and Eve will receive adjusters while yet serving on a world settled in light, concomitant with the receiving of adjusters by some of their imported pure-line children who have volunteered for a term of planetary service. Subsequently, they may all go to universe headquarters and there begin the paradise career. 3. A planetary Adam and Eve may elect, as do material sons and daughters from the system capital, to go direct to the midsonite world for a brief sojourn, there to receive their adjusters. 4. They may decide to return to the system headquarters, there for a time to occupy seats on the Supreme Court after which service they will receive Adjusters and begin the Paradise Ascent. 5. They may choose to go from their administrative duties back to their native world, to serve as teachers for a season, and to become adjuster indwelt at the time of transfer to the universe headquarters. Throughout all of these epochs the imported assisting material sons and daughters exert a tremendous influence on the progressing social and economic orders. They are potentially immortal, at least until such time as they elect to humanize, receive adjusters, and start for paradise. On the evolutionary worlds a being must humanize to receive a thought-adjuster. All ascendant members of the mortal core of have been adjuster-indwelt and fused, except seraphim, and they are father-indwelt by another type of spirit at the time of being mustered into this core. 5. THE ACME OF MATERIAL DEVELOPMENT Mortal creatures living on a sin-stricken, evil-dominated, self-seeking, isolated world such as Urantia can hardly conceive of the physical perfection, the intellectual attainment and the spiritual development which characterize these advanced epochs of evolution on a sinless sphere. The advanced stages of a world settled in light and life represent the acme of evolutionary material development. On these cultured worlds gone are the idleness and friction of the earlier primitive ages. Poverty and social inequality have all but vanished, degeneracy has disappeared, and delinquency is rarely observed. Insanity has practically ceased to exist, and feeble-mindedness is a rarity. The economic, social, and administrative status of these worlds is of a high and perfected order. Science, art, and industry flourish, and society is a smoothly working mechanism of high material, intellectual, and cultural achievement. Industry has been largely diverted to serving the higher aims of such a superb civilization. The economic life of such a world has become ethical. War has become a matter of history, and there are no more armies or police forces. Government is gradually disappearing self-control is slowly rendering laws of human enactment obsolete. The extent of civil government and statutory regulation in an intermediate state of advancing civilization is in inverse proportion to the morality and spirituality of the citizenship. Schools are vastly improved and are devoted to the training of mind and the expansion of soul. The art centers are exquisite and the musical organizations superb. The temples of worship, with their associated schools of philosophy and experiential religion, are creations of beauty and grandeur. The open-air arenas of worship assembly are equally sublime in the simplicity of their artistic appointment. The provisions for competitive play, humor, and other phases of personal and group achievements are ample and appropriate. A special feature of the competitive activities on such a highly cultured world concerns the efforts of individuals and groups to excel in the sciences and philosophies of cosmology. Literature and oratory flourish, and language is so improved as to be symbolic of concepts as well as to be expressive of ideas. Life is refreshingly simple. Man has at last coordinated a high state of mechanical development with an inspiring intellectual attainment and has overshadowed both with an exquisite spiritual achievement. The pursuit of happiness is an experience of joy and satisfaction. 6. The Individual Mortal As worlds advance in the settled status of light and life, society becomes increasingly peaceful. The individual, while no less independent and devoted to his family, has become more altruistic and fraternal. On your rancher and as you are, You can have little appreciation of the advanced status and progressive nature of the enlightened races of these perfected worlds. These people are the flowering of the evolutionary races. But such beings are still mortal. They continue to breathe, eat, sleep, and drink. This great evolution is not heaven, but it is a sublime foreshadowing of the divine worlds of the Paradise Ascent. On a normal world, the biologic fitness of the mortal race was long since brought up to a high level during the post-Adamic epochs, and now, from age to age throughout the settled eras, the physical evolution of man continues. Both vision and hearing are extended. By now, the population has become stationary in numbers. Reproduction is regulated in accordance with planetary requirements and innate hereditary endowments. The mortals on a planet during this age are divided into from five to ten groups, and the lower groups are permitted to produce only one-half as many children as the higher. The continued improvement of such a magnificent race throughout the era of light and life is largely a matter of the selective reproduction of those racial strains which exhibit superior qualities of the social, philosophic, cosmic, and spiritual nature. The Adjusters continue to come as in former evolutionary eras, and as the epochs pass, these mortals are increasingly able to commune with the indwelling Father Fragment. During the embryonic and pre-spiritual stages of development, the adjutant mind-spirits are still functioning. The Holy Spirit and the ministry of angels are even more effective as the successive epochs of settled life are experienced. In the fourth stage of Light and Life, the advanced mortals seem to experience considerable conscious contact with the spirit presence of the master spirit of super-universe jurisdiction, while the philosophy of such a world is focused upon the attempt to comprehend the new revelations of God the Supreme. More than one-half of the human inhabitants on planets of this advanced status experience translation to the Morancha state from among the living. Even so, Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. We conceive that physical evolution will have attained its full development by the end of the fifth epoch of the light and life era. We observe that the upper limits of spiritual development associated with evolving human mind are determined by the adjuster fusion level of conjoint marancha values and cosmic meanings. But concerning wisdom, While we do not really know, we conjecture that there can never be a limit to intellectual evolution and the attainment of wisdom. On a seventh-stage world, wisdom can exhaust the material potentials, enter upon mota insight, and eventually even taste of absinthe grandeur. We observe that on these highly evolved and long seventh-stage worlds, human beings fully learn the local universe language before they are translated. And I have visited a few very old planets where Abandanters were teaching the older mortals the tongue of the super-universe. And on these worlds I have observed the technique whereby the absinite personalities reveal the presence of the Finaliters in the Morancha temple. This is the story of the magnificent goal of mortal striving on the evolutionary worlds, and it all takes place even before human beings enter upon their Morancha careers. All of this splendid development is attainable by material mortals on the inhabited worlds, the very first stage of that endless and incomprehensible career of paradise ascension and divinity attainment. But can you possibly imagine what sort of evolutionary mortals are now coming up from worlds long existing in the seventh epoch of settled light and life? It is such as these who go on to the Morancha worlds of the local universe capital to begin their ascension careers. If the mortals of distraught Urantia could only view one of these more advanced worlds long settled in light and life, they would never more question the wisdom of the evolutionary scheme of creation. Were there no future of eternal creature progression, still the superb evolutionary attainments of the mortal races on such settled worlds of perfected achievement would amply justify man's creation on the worlds of time and space. We often ponder— if the grand universe should be settled in light and life, would the ascending exquisite mortals still be destined to the core of the finality? But we do not know. 7. The First or Planetary Stage This epoch extends from the appearance of the Morancha Temple at the new planetary headquarters to the time of the settling of the entire system in light and life. This age is inaugurated by the Trinity Teacher Sons at the close of their successive world missions, when the Planetary Prince is elevated to the status of Planetary Sovereign by the mandate and personal presence of the Paradise Bestowal Son of that sphere. Concomitant therewith, the Finaliters inaugurate their active participation in planetary affairs. To outward and visible appearances, the actual rulers or directors of such a world settled in light and life are the material son and daughter, the planetary Adam and Eve. The finaliters are invisible, as also is the Prince Sovereign, except when in the Morancha Temple. The actual and literal heads of the planetary regime are therefore the material son and daughter. It is the knowledge of these arrangements that has given prestige to the idea of kings and queens throughout the universe realms, and kings and queens are a great success under these ideal circumstances, when a world can command such high personalities to act in behalf of still higher but invisible rulers. When such an era is attained on your world, no doubt Macaventa Melchizedek, now the vicegerent planetary prince of Urantia, will occupy the seat of the planetary sovereign and it has long been conjectured on Jerusalem that he will be accompanied by a son and daughter of the Urantia, Adam, and Eve, who are now held on Edentia as wards of the Most Highs of Norlashidek. These children of Adam might so serve on Urantia in association with the Melchizedek sovereign, since they were deprived of procreative powers almost thirty-seven thousand years ago, at the time they gave up their material bodies on Urantia in preparation for transit to Edentia. This settled age continues on and on until every inhabited planet in the system attains the era of stabilization, and then, when the youngest world, the last to achieve light and life, has experienced such settledness for one millennium of system time, the entire system enters the stabilized status, and the individual worlds are ushered into the system epoch of the era of light and life. 8. THE SECOND OR SYSTEM STAGE When an entire system becomes settled in life, a new order of government is inaugurated. The planetary sovereigns become members of the system conclave, and this new administrative body, subject to the veto of the Constellation Fathers, is supreme in authority. Such a system of inhabited worlds becomes virtually self-governing. The system legislative assembly is constituted on the headquarters world and each planet sends its ten representatives there, too. Courts are now established on the system capitals, and only appeals are taken to the universe headquarters. With the settling of the system, the assigned sentinel, representative of the super-universe supreme executive, becomes the volunteer advisor to the system supreme court and actual presiding officer of the new legislative assembly. After the settling of an entire system in light and life, the system sovereigns will no more come and go. Such a sovereign remains perpetually at the head of his system. The assistant sovereigns continue to change as in former ages. During this epoch of stabilization, for the first time, Midsuniters come from the universe headquarters worlds of their sojourn to act as counselors to the legislative assemblies and advisors to the adjudicational tribunals. These midsoniters also carry on certain efforts to inculcate new mota meanings of supreme value into the teaching enterprises, which they sponsor jointly with the finaliters. What the material sons did for the mortal races biologically, the midsonite creatures now do for these unified and glorified humans in the ever-advancing realms of philosophy and spiritualized thinking. On the inhabited worlds the teacher-sons become voluntary collaborators with the finaliters, and these same teacher-sons also accompany the finaliters to the mansion worlds, when those spheres are no longer to be utilized as differential receiving worlds after an entire system is settled in light and life. At least this is true by the time the entire constellation has thus evolved. But there are no groups that far advanced in Nebadon. We are not permitted to reveal the nature of the work of the finaliters who will supervise such rededicated mansion worlds. You have, however, been informed that there are throughout the universes various types of intelligent creatures who have not been portrayed in these narratives. And now, as the systems one by one become settled in light by virtue of the progress of their component worlds— The time comes when the last system in a given constellation attains stabilization and the universe administrators, the master sun, the union of days, and the bright and morning star, arrive on the capital of the constellation to proclaim the most highs, the unqualified rulers of the newly perfected family of one hundred settled systems of inhabited worlds. 9. The Third or Constellation Stage The unification of a whole constellation of settled systems is attended by new distributions of executive authority and additional readjustments of universe administration. This epoch witnesses advanced attainment on every inhabited world, but is particularly characterized by readjustments on the constellation headquarters, with marked modification of relationships with both the system supervision and the local universe government. During this age, many constellation and universe activities are transferred to the system capitals, and the representatives of the super-universe assume new and more intimate relations with the planetary, system, and universe rulers. Concomitant with these new associations, certain super-universe administrators establish themselves on the constellation capitals as volunteer advisors to the Most High Fathers. When a constellation is thus settled in light, The legislative function ceases, and the House of System Sovereigns, presided over by the Most Highs, functions instead. Now, for the first time, such administrative groups deal directly with the super-universe government in matters pertaining to Havona and Paradise relationships. Otherwise, the constellation remains related to the local universe as before. From stage to stage in the settled life, the Univitatia continue to administer the constellation Morantia worlds. As the ages pass, the Constellation Fathers take over more and more of the detailed administrative or supervising functions, which were formerly centered on the universe headquarters. By the attainment of the sixth stage of stabilization, these unified constellations will have reached the position of well-nigh complete autonomy. Entrance upon the seventh stage of settledness will no doubt witness the exaltation of these rulers to the true dignity signified by their names the Most Highs. To all intents and purposes, the constellations will then deal directly with the super-universe rulers while the local universe government will expand to grasp the responsibilities of new grand universe obligations. 10. The Fourth or Local Universe Stage When a universe becomes settled in light and life, it soon swings into the established super-universe circuits and the Ancients of Days proclaim the establishment of the Supreme Council of Unlimited Authority. This new governing body consists of the one hundred Faithfuls of Days, presided over by the Union of Days, and the first act of this Supreme Council is to acknowledge the continued sovereignty of the Master Creator Son. The universe administration, as far as concerns Gabriel and the Father Melchizedek, is quite unchanged this council of unlimited authority is chiefly concerned with the new problems and the new conditions arising out of the advanced status of light and life the associate inspector now mobilizes all assigned sentinels to constitute the stabilization core of the local universe and asks the father melchizedek to share its supervision with him and now for the first time A core of the inspired Trinity Spirits are assigned to the service of the union of days. The settling of an entire local universe in light and life inaugurates profound readjustments in the entire scheme of administration, from the individual inhabited worlds to the universe headquarters. New relationships extend down to the constellations and systems. The local universe Mother Spirit experiences new liaison relations with the Master Spirit of the Super-Universe, and Gabriel establishes direct contact with the Ancients of Days to be effective when and as the Master Son may be absent from the Headquarters world. During this and subsequent ages the Magisterial Sons continue to function as dispensational adjudicators, while one hundred of these Avonal Sons of Paradise constitute the new high council of the bright and morning star on the universe capital. Later on, and as requested by the system sovereigns, one of these magisterial sons will become the supreme counsellor stationed on the headquarters world of each local system until the seventh stage of unity is attained. During this epoch, the Trinity teacher sons are volunteer advisors, not only to the planetary sovereigns, but in groups of three they similarly serve the Constellation Fathers, and at last these sons find their place in the local universe, for at this time they are removed from the jurisdiction of the local creation and are assigned to the service of the Supreme Council of Unlimited Authority. The Finalator Corps now, for the first time, acknowledges the jurisdiction of an extra Paradise Authority, the Supreme Council. Heretofore the Finalitors have recognized no supervision this side of Paradise. The Creator sons of such settled universes spend much of their time on Paradise and its associated worlds, and in counseling the numerous Finaliter groups serving throughout the local creation. In this way the man of Michael will find a fuller fraternity of association with the glorified Finaliter mortals. Speculation concerning the function of these creator-sons in connection with the outer universes now in process of preliminary assembly is wholly futile. But we all engage in such postulations from time to time. On attaining this fourth stage of development, the creator-son becomes administratively free. The divine minister is progressively blending her ministry with that of the super-universe master-spirit and the infinite spirit. There seems to be evolving a new and sublime relationship between the creator sun, the creative spirit, the evening stars, the teacher Sons, and the ever-increasing Finaliter core. If Michael should ever leave Nebadon, Gabriel would undoubtedly become chief administrator with the father Melchizedek as his associate. At the same time, new status would be imparted to all orders of permanent citizenship, such as material sons, univitatia midsoniters, cessatia, and spirit-fused mortals. But as long as evolution continues, the seraphim and the archangels will be required in universe administration. We are, however, satisfied regarding two features of our speculations. If the Creator-sons are destined to the outer universes, the divine ministers will undoubtedly accompany them. We are equally sure that the Melchizedeks are to remain with the universes of their origin. We hold that the Melchizedeks are destined to play ever-increasingly responsible parts in local universe government and administration. 11. The Minor and Major Sector Stages Minor and major sectors of the super-universe do not figure directly in the plan of being settled in light and life. Such an evolutionary progression pertains primarily to the local universe as a unit and concerns only the components of a local universe. A super-universe is settled in light and life when all of its component local universes are thus perfected. But not one of the seven super-universes has attained a level of progression even approaching this. The Minor Sector Age As far as observations can penetrate, the fifth or minor sector stage of stabilization has exclusively to do with physical status and with the coordinate settling of the one hundred associated local universes in the established circuits of the super-universe. Apparently, none but the power centers and their associates are concerned in these realignments of the material creation. THE MAJOR SECTOR AGE Concerning the sixth stage, or major sector stabilization, we can only conjecture since none of us have witnessed such an event. Nevertheless, we can postulate much concerning the administrative and other readjustments which would probably accompany such an advanced status of inhabited worlds and their universe groupings. Since the minor-sector status has to do with coordinate physical equilibrium, we infer that major-sector unification will be concerned with certain new intellectual levels of attainment, possibly some advanced achievements in the supreme realization of cosmic wisdom. We arrive at conclusions regarding the readjustments which would probably attend the realization of hitherto unattained levels of evolutionary progress by observing the results of such achievements on the individual worlds and in the experiences of individual mortals living on these older and highly developed spheres. Let it be made clear that the administrative mechanisms and governmental techniques of a universe or superuniverse cannot in any manner limit or retard the evolutionary development or spiritual progress of an individual inhabited planet or of any individual mortal on such a sphere. In some of the older universes, we find worlds settled in the fifth and the sixth stages of light and life, even far extended into the seventh epoch, whose local systems are not yet settled in light. Younger planets may delay system unification But this does not in the least handicap the progress of an older and advanced world. Neither can environmental limitations, even on an isolated world, thwart the personal attainment of the individual mortal. Jesus of Nazareth, as a man among men, personally achieved the status of light and life over nineteen hundred years ago on Eurantia. It is by observing what takes place on long-settled worlds that we arrive at fairly reliable conclusions as to what will happen when a whole super-universe is settled in light, even if we cannot safely postulate the event of the stabilization of the seven super-universes. 12. The Seventh or Super-Universe Stage We cannot positively forecast what would occur when a super-universe became settled in light because such an event has never factualized. From the teachings of the Melchizedeks, which have never been contradicted, we infer that sweeping changes would be made in the entire organization and administration of every unit of the creations of time and space extending from the inhabited worlds to the super-universe headquarters. It is generally believed that large numbers of the otherwise unattached creature-trinitized sons are to be assembled on the headquarters and divisional capitals of the settled superuniverses. This may be in anticipation of the sometime arrival of outer spacers on their way in to Havona and Paradise, but we really do not know. If and when a super-universe should be settled in light and life, we believe that the now advisory, unqualified supervisors of the Supreme would become the high administrative body on the headquarters world of the super-universe. These are the personalities who are able to contact directly with the absenite administrators who will forthwith become active in the settled super-universe. Although these unqualified supervisors have long functioned as advisors and counselors in advanced evolutionary units of creation, they do not assume administrative responsibilities until the authority of the supreme being becomes sovereign. The unqualified supervisors of the supreme who function more extensively during this epoch are not finite, absent, ultimate, or infinite. They are supremacy and only represent God the Supreme. They are the personalization of time-space supremacy and therefore do not function in Havona. They function only as supreme unifiers. They may possibly be involved in the technique of universe reflectivity, but we are not certain. None of us entertains a satisfactory concept of what will happen when the grand universe, the seven super universes as dependent on Havona, becomes entirely settled in light and life. That event will undoubtedly be the most profound occurrence in the annals of eternity since the appearance of the central universe. There are those who hold that the supreme being himself will emerge from the Havona mystery enshrouding his spirit person and will become residential on the headquarters of the seventh super-universe as the almighty and experiential sovereign of the perfected creations of time and space. But we really do not know. Presented by a mighty messenger temporarily assigned to the Archangel Council on Urantia.